Hello and welcome to Kingdom Conversations, a ministry of Faith Covenant Church. We are so excited to have you today as we talk about all things related to the Kingdom of God. Hello and welcome to Kingdom Conversations. We're so excited um, to be back in the studio and to be talking about the things of God. Sometimes the things we talk about are so painful, but what we love is we get to experience God being the hero of stories. And so audience, if you're listening today, I cannot wait for you to meet my friend, Kathy Regan, who is going to be telling her story. And it's a difficult one, but I pray your heart is so encouraged because you are going to see Jesus show up big and how he just delights in rescuing his people. So with that said, Kathy, would you, first of all, thank you for being here today. Would you introduce yourself to us? Yes, and thank you so much for this opportunity, Mary. It's just wonderful. Well, I be, I became a follower of Christ when I was in my early 20s, but it was probably about another 10 years after that that I really began to understand that it was about what Christ did on the cross for me, not what I did. And so after I graduated from mm, college so with a degree in social work, I worked in social service for 20 years, working with children and families. And then about 18 years ago, I became um, on, I went on staff at my church, and I've worked in a variety of positions, serving in children's ministry, women's ministry, and local outreach. That's awesome. And so um, you have, w- when you're doing all these different types of ministries, what is it that makes your heart mm-hmm. beat for Jesus? Yeah, that's a good question. I th- I think that my heart and passion is really for others to know their identity in Christ mm. and to just receive the love and the forgiveness and the mercy that Christ offers and to walk in the freedom that he provides. I love that. I when you said that I thought of the verse from 2 Corinthians that says that we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new is here. What a gift that is to be able to help women discover that. Well, we're here and I'm holding in my hands right now this book that you wrote. And um, um, I just want you to know I ordered it off of Amazon and it's in Kindle version too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things as, as I just look at it, you know, these are words on, on a page. These are minutes and days and years mm-hmm. of your life, and you do such an excellent job sharing the emotion you're walking through. Because um, I think that a lot of times people think when they don't have a right concept of Christ that you're supposed to just get it right every mm-hmm. minute. And so I so appreciated you talking about what you were experiencing. And then how God came in and met you mm-hmm. in that emotion. So I like to begin with the end in mind. The name of your book is Still Believing, Holding On to Hope and Heartbreak. Yes. Can you give us a little synopsis and then we'll go back and we'll mm-hmm. talk through it? Yeah. Well, I wrote the book actually for part of my healing yeah. um, from some tragedy that happened in my life. But I also wrote it for anyone who might have felt like their life didn't turn out the way they wanted mm. or expected. And so it's my personal story of marrying Charles, who was serving a 120-year sentence in a maximum security prison. And I share how I found deep love, but also mm. great sorrow. 
and how God has beautifully worked in my life to just bring peace and hope and healing. And what I wanted to also do is to give some practical insights about how to walk out one's faith when you're going through any kind of a painful trial, and also offer just encouragement that God is with you through each and every step of the way. Hmm. Can I just tell you that um, you and I have talked many times, but I loved how you said this is for somebody whose life did not turn out the way they thought. Expectations mm-hmm. get us in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know this, but my life verse is Hosea 8, 6. Mm-hmm. And it was because I had this picture of me, you know, June Cleaver meets good housekeeping. And if you know me, uh, that's not true at all. And it says, this calf you crafted by your own hands. Mm-hmm. It is not God. Therefore, it must be smashed to bits. And what I what I always say is that smashing is a beautiful, painful, amazing process that's what you're going to be sharing with us today mm-hmm. is how did God smash those pictures yeah. you might have carried and given you something more beautiful? Mm-hmm. So let's go back and to the beginning of your story. How did you meet Charles? Mm-hmm. How'd you fall in love? Yes. Well, um, it all goes back to in my mid-20s, I moved into a neighborhood that was very close to a public housing community. And so I started to hang out with some of the young kids in the community. Uh, before long, I was taking like a, a carload of kids to the beach or the park and or just hanging out together. And as I got to spend time with them, one of them shared with me that their brother went to prison. And so when the brother was released, he told me that Charles, another inmate, led him to the Lord, and discipled him. And he also said that Charles had gone to prison when he was 17 years old for second-degree murder, Mm -hmm. and that he had a very long sentence. So I thought, well, why don't I send him a Christmas card, just as a way of encouragement and to let him know that he's not forgotten. And so we start corresponding to each other. And after about six months of writing each other, I thought, well, why don't I just go visit him? And I just thought it was going to be a one-time thing. Well, um, at our first visit, we just talked about so many different topics, and it was just a really a great time. But I remember when I left the visiting park, I was very inspired and challenged wow. spiritually. Wow. Yes. And so I continued to visit weekly. And I was just drawn to Charles's desire um, to make something good come from his crime and his servant attitude and just his heart and hunger for Jesus. And he was just, I enjoyed his personality and his passion and uh, just his eagerness to become the best person that he could be, his willing to be teachable and grow. And, uh, it was actually Charles that encouraged me to start a prison ministry. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. But with his support and just his passion for it, I started it. And we had a prison outreach for over 20 years. That is incredible. To add some depth to understanding like what God had done in Charles' heart, tell us a little bit about his crime. What does second-degree murder even mean? Yeah, well, second-degree murder means that it wasn't something, uh, the murder was not something that you planned to do. It was just spur of the moment. And in his like case... Like an act of passion? Well, in his case, um, he was in high school, and after school, he had gone to like a 7-Eleven, and um, him and the person that was behind the desk got into this big argument, and he just pulled out a gun and shot the person. Wow. And then... 
he stayed at the place and he called the manager and said that the person had been shot. And, and how old was Charles? He was 17. 17. And so he just waited there until the police came. So, wow. uh, first of all, that's an incredible amount of self, like he didn't run. Yeah. So at that point, was Charles a Christian or did he become a no. Christian later? No, he was not a believer at that time. As yeah. a matter of fact, he had gone to church and his idea of Christianity was that they were very hypocritical and cause he didn't have, he grew up poor and so he was ridicule, ridiculed and um, just kind of shunned. And so he didn't really want to be around Christians. That, and that's a powerful testimony to us mm-hmm. as believers. Yeah. Makes us want to love others well. Yeah. So with that said, can you tell me, how did he come to know the Lord? Yeah, so uh, actually when he went to, early on in his incarceration, he, his anger got the best of him, and he ended up getting into a lot of fights. And he had a reputation as someone that you didn't really want to mess with. But the reality was that he was scared and guarded and was just trying to do whatever he could do to survive. Um, he was confused and just wanted to make sense of how did his life turn out so wrong, yeah. you know, especially at such a young age. Yeah. But a few years into his prison sentence, he was working in the canteen with another inmate who was a believer. And they just started talking, and Charles observed him and how he handled different situations. And one night, he they got together, and Charles just broke down and told him everything that had happened in his wow. life. And it was then the, you know, the guy shared how Jesus died for him, that he wanted a relationship with him, and that God had a purpose for his life. But Charles just really wrestled with this because he's like, he thought he had been disqualified Mm -hmm. because of his Mm -hmm. crime. But as we know, God continued to pursue us, and that's what he did with Charles. And one time he was sitting on his bunk, they have what they call count time, where they have to make sure everybody is where they're supposed to be. And it was at that time that he prayed and asked Christ to come into his life and began this new journey of faith. The good thing is that the prison that he was at, had the chaplain had a very good discipleship program. So So Charles was mentored by other inmates and discipled, and then he, at a certain point, got to mentor other people. And that's what he did with my young friend's brother. So that totally just blesses my heart hearing his story his backstory with that how old was he when he would say yes i came to know christ i don't know exactly but i would say probably 22 or 23 okay so he had been in prison for a couple of years i just love that he found hope in what seemed to be this hopeless situation yes so then when you came to visit him how many years later is this after him becoming probably two or three so actually he might have been a become one about 21 okay yeah Okay. Yeah. What a power. First of all, that's a powerful testimony in and of Mm -hmm. itself. I also loved how you said that the person he was working with, he watched them, Yes. you know, and then, and then the Lord pursued Mm -hmm. him and wooed him. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. So then you guys started visiting how often? We would usually visit once a week on either a Saturday or a Sunday. And you know, you have a lot of time to talk to one another and really get to know one another. And so, you know, I thought we were just going to be friends. But after visiting each other for seven years, 
we actually got married in the prison chapel. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And actually married being somebody who's just a logical and practical person, you know, it, it made no sense at all, mm -hmm. you know, especially since he had such a long sentence. Uh, but after much prayer and consideration of all the unknowns that we would be facing and all the uncertainties, I just had a piece about it. I love how God is just so faithful in those things. Yeah. So I have a question for you, and I didn't talk to you about this before I asked, so I'm going to spontaneously just ask it. The people that love you, that are closest to you, had they been walking with you and so this was not a surprise, or did you get some pushback like, hey, what's going on? Well, I probably waited a year before I told people, you know, of once I was visiting him. Yeah. Um, so I waited a year. But then, you know, like my parents, um, they wanted to meet him, um, which I definitely understood. Of course, there was a little bit of pushback as far as here's a guy that might be in prison the rest of his life. My closest friends also met him. They would come and they visited him. And my parents, once they met, once they met him, they were very supportive. Yeah. Of course, they. it was still hard, yes. you know, because you, you know that this is going to be a hard journey. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I felt a lot of support from yeah. my family and yeah. friends. We're reading through the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis right now. And one of the big ahas we're having is that it's so easy to remember the brothers, where, who they were, but all that God did in their lives yes. 30 years later. And so we're yeah. talking about how we have to be careful not to hold somebody to a position. We have to give Christ an opportunity mm -hmm. to change them. And I'm thinking this is a beautiful living example that um, he went from not knowing the Lord, not yeah. having any hope, God wooing him, pursuing him, yeah. and then knowing you and just how practical and <laughs> logical and beautiful these gifts are, it, mm -hmm. it makes no sense. But right. that's where you see the absolute Holy Spirit coming in yes. and yeah, all these things taking place. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you loved about being married to Charles. Well, I loved him, of course. I loved um, the way that he loved God. Yeah. And how he was willing to, he was such a servant, um, serving other people, just wanting to uh, make a difference in people's lives. And um, yeah, there's just so much that I, I loved how he was growing in his relationship with the Lord and how God opened up so many doors for him to minister to other people, yeah. even in a secular world, you know, like by teaching life skills or marriage classes, and yet then so many men coming in wanting to talk to the, him about some counseling issues. And so seeing him be the leader, the servant leader, I, I yes. think that that's what um, really just made me smile. I So I get to see God's hand of provision yes. on him. Yes. So with that question, um, Charles, was, Charles was under the parole system and serving a 120-year sentence. How does the parole system work, and how did you both handle the disappointments of mm -hmm. denial of parole throughout the years? Yes. Good question, and <laughs> it's a little complicated, but let me first say that Charles went to prison in 1980, and so he was given a 120-year sentence, but that doesn't mean that he had to serve 
120 years. Okay. His expected parole date was 40 years. So that would have meant 2020. Okay. Okay. Now I met him in 1986. Okay. And so, um, when you would go to the parole hearing, uh, there's three commissioners that make the decision when or if a person will get released from, from, or, re, or paroled. And so the parole hearings would take place in Tallahassee, usually every one to two years. And they would, um, they could do a couple of different things. They could lower his date from 2020, you know, and say, oh, we'll move it to 2018. Um, or they could up his date for no reason, or they could just say, uh, no change and come back. Oh. Yeah. And that happened a lot. Um, or they could recommend parole. Now I knew early on that Charles had shared with me that very few inmates get paroled every year. And so there was a good possibility that he might never get paroled or if he did, it could take a long time. Um, but when, when there was a parole hearing, we, we, a group of supporters would go and speak on his behalf. We would have 10 minutes to wow. speak. Each person had 10 nope. minutes? Oh, 10 total. minutes total. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and then the commissioners would vote right then what they were going to do. So you could just imagine how nerve-wracking uh. this was because it's like your future was in their hands. And, and your future. Yes. His and, future yeah, and, and your future. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, um, there was occasions that they would lower his date and many times they would say, Oh, he's doing such a good job. Just keep doing what he's doing. That's like, okay. <laughs> you know, is there any, there wasn't a lot of hope. Let's yeah. just put it that way. And so the majority of times I left feeling very discouraged and disheartened and really the feelings of hopelessness would creep yes. in. Yeah. So, of course, it's always hard telling him over the phone, this is what happened, because he's not at the parole hearings. And so when we would get together to process it all, um, we just spent time crying together and grieving, you know, as far as what they had voted on. Um, we would express all of our emotions and just, you know, pour it out, vent yes. to each other. Yeah. We looked at scripture and we focused on who God is and knowing that he had a purpose and a plan. <clears throat> and eventually we got that, okay, we're just going to trust. Yeah. God's timing is perfect. Yes. We will wait on him. And in the meantime, we'll continue to do what he has called us to do and just see where he is moving. Wow. I'm just imagining what that must, like, you know what? I think of the verse that says we walk by faith and not by sight. Mm -hmm. That was your boot camp. Yes. Practicing that. How often were you able to, were you able to call him and talk with him or was it only on your weekend visits face to face? He was able to call me. I was okay. not able to call him. Um, so he would usually call maybe once a week and then we would also write each other every week. You know, that is a lost art. Yes. But there's so much thought put behind when we're writing things out. I bet you that was part mm -hmm. of what knit you together. Absolutely. Those letters, I have stacks and stacks of the letters and uh, going all the way back to the 1980s. Ah, <laughs> and awesome. yes, beautiful. Um, and he's such an elegant writer and can really articulate well and just full of encouragement. So those letters were something that I hung on to. 
Um, we're going to close part one out in just a minute because I, I cannot wait to get to part two. So audience, as you're listening, I have one more question, but stay tuned because next week we're going to finish God's story. I mean, God's glory and Kathy's story. Um, a question I had was when you were going to the parole hearings, was the victim's family ever there? And did Charles ever get a chance to make restitution with them and ask forgiveness? Mary, that might be a question for next time because there's more to the story. But to answer your question, uh, as far as the parole hearings, the victim's family never showed up. There was twice that a family member did write a letter on, um, on the family's behalf, but they never did show up. But there is a beautiful story that I'll share next time. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that. Thank you so much, audience, for being here. And thank you, Kathy. And um, we look forward to hearing how God shows up in the midst of this story in part two. Thank you for listening to Kingdom Conversations. We look forward to you joining us next week.